0: welcome, there's a lot of false teachers, false prophets who would take the passage that we just read about Jesus casting out demons, about Jesus doing miracles and, and passages like that, and they would apply those inappropriately. And so, I mean, just this is what Jesus does. If they, you got a hangnail, I mean, pray and, and if it doesn't happen, you just don't have faith or you didn't give enough money. just as we've been talking about with the Gospel Project, that's what we've been doing uh, during the 9 o'clock hour in Bible study, we've been going through the Old Testament, and, and we've been looking at that every passage that's well, in the Old Testament, or these about miracles, casting out demons, every single passage in the Bible is about Jesus. It points to Jesus. And rather than saying, well, what kind of miracle can I have today? Which may or may not happen. We need to look to these passages and not miss the point. Because the point is Jesus. As we've just sang about, as we've just heard read in God's Word, all glory be to you forever. And by the way, did y'all catch the slide thing? All glory forever pies, cakes, bread. It's really awesome. Some of y'all saw it too, all right? It was a great picture. All glory forever. Pie, cake, bread. Um, anyway. Sorry. The, I pick up on those little things and I just can't let them go. But we mi- like I was doing, we missed the point. And what we want to come today in this passage, we want to humble ourselves and listen and see what does this Scripture say about Jesus, the Almighty glorious King of Kings, So we read from Psalm 1, the eternal King, that even David, the great King of Israel, says, look to you as my Lord, and I worship you. And let's pray together, and we're going to get into this passage and talk about what Jesus does, and we're going to see three things that show us Jesus' authority and His amazing power. Let's pray. Father, You are good, gracious, and kind. Lord, um, as the psalmist said, open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in Your law. Lord, I pray that You would reveal to us who You are, Jesus. Your authority and Your power. And I, I pray that we would just come out singing all glory to You forever. All glory to you, forever. Help us, God. Speak to us and change our hearts, God. May we turn to you in faith and repentance. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about just that very simple thing: Jesus has authority and power. And before you think, yeah, I know it. Check. I went to Sunday school once. We got that part. I want us to just get into this scripture a little bit today. It's in Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four. We're going to start in verse thirty one. You can turn there if you're uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, certainly understand there's a Bible in the seat pockets there in front of you. Grab that. If you don't have one, feel free to take it home. Um, This passage is on five hundred and fifty eight page five hundred fifty eight. Big number four, little number thirty one. What I want us to see is that Jesus has authority and power in three specific areas. I shouldn't have chosen that word. I'm not going to get it out this morning. Um, But first, Jesus has authority and power over Satan and his demons. I want us to read a little section of this passage again. We're going to start in verse 31. Jesus has authority and power over Satan and his demons. Look there with me in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. This is kind of Jesus' hometown territory here it's not right where he was from but very near there he was teaching them on the sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority so if you remember back to last week joe talked to us about how jesus came into the synagogue he taught and they were amazed at his teaching It says um, they stood in awe of the pre- in the presence of jesus the nazarene quite literally they were just blown away by how when he came and taught the word, it wasn't just as I think, I maybe he said it and you knew it was true because of who he was, who was saying it. So these people are experiencing this exact same thing that happened there in his hometown. In verse 33, and in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! and power. He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about Him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And this wasn't a one-time thing. Look down there in verse 41 again. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the Son of God! But He rebuked them. He would not allow them to speak because they knew that He was the Christ didn't just happen once it was a pattern in jesus's ministry he came and the demonic forces of hell could not stand against him jesus has power and authority and he demonstrated that power and authority through casting out of these demons um, demons are not you know your normal sermon talk bart and i i was in the restaurant i was wrestling this silly microphone today and bart said you're gonna cast the demon out of it i'm like mm, you have no idea how right you are um But demons, that's not our normal sermon topic. And and as a matter of fact, it's not normal to Scripture. Um, This this was not just some first century superstition, though. Um, We have about 11 occurrences of demon possession happening in Scripture. This was reality, but it wasn't common reality. Um, And the point here is that when Jesus meets the demonic, he has overwhelmingly more power and authority over any spiritual force that's out there. So we first need to realize that there are spiritual forces out there. I mean, in our modern era, with all our science and technology, we, t- we tend to forget and, and isolate things and think everything has a reasonable, standard explanation that you can figure out in a laboratory. Everything has a pill to take or an action to take, and there's a source to it. But we need to realize there is a reality to this. Um, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, our, our fight, our real ultimate battle, it's not against people. It's not against the wild boss who's making you tortured. It's not against a political system. It's not against this or that or whatever it is that's afflicting you. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we need to realize there is a spiritual battle going on. Um, The things that happen in your life, some of them are just life. But some of those are very much a spiritual battle. We need to not forget this and not be fearful about it. Let's look at how Jesus handled this, and then we're going to take some application for how we might handle that as well. But there is a personal evil force out there. Jesus has such authority and power over that force, over Satan. He just commands him with a simple word. So not only is there a spiritual force, but there are actually times this spiritual force takes possession of humans. There are times, and we don't know all the reasons, some of them seem to make sense, like someone has has delved into evil, but sometimes in Scripture it doesn't make sense, and we have no clue why a person is possessed. But there are multiple times a person is controlled by a demon um, or demons. Now, in the Bible, again, this only happens 11 times. it's, It's very clear that we're sure that that's what's going on. Um, But it is a real happening. I mean, there's no denying what the Bible says about this man. He was possessed by a demonic spirit. Um, But our brains tend to go to, you know, the the horror movies that came out of Hollywood. Um, The Exorcist and, you know, pea soup and head spinning and all this. That's not the reality of Scripture. In every case except one, this was a very normal looking person. Um, There was one case where he he was a wild man. Um, and it says he was naked, running around. The only thing he was wearing was the chains they tried to hold him down with that he'd broken. Um, so yeah, we got that one. But all the rest of them, they're sitting in the synagogue. This is the equivalence of, of this. Everybody's sitting there. Jesus is up teaching. He actually probably would have been sitting to teach in their custom. He's sitting there teaching, and all of a sudden some guy in the back stands up and starts shouting. So this demon possession, again, it's not the stuff of Hollywood movies. It is a spiritual, very scary, but real reality. Despite this reality, Satan and his demons are not the issue, or are not the author of every evil. So we want to balance this. This was real. There was a man possessing a demon, in church. And again, it wasn't church, but but think first century equivalent of this. There's a man in church possessed by a demon. But then we want to balance that. This happens 11 times in scripture. It's not common. I mean, 11 times this book. It's not common. Um, The demons are not the author of every evil that comes about. Um, I had a um, friend in high school, um, and I went to a charismatic high school. It was the kind of charismatic that was, there were some godly, godly people there, and then there were some odd birds, too, okay? I loved them. They were my friends, but they were odd birds, and this girl had a flat tire, and um, the next day, she said, I didn't have a flat tire today, and you know why? Uh, The sarcasm didn't come out. I was good. (laughs) I didn't hit a nail, uh I put oil on my, every, over every tire, I put a cross of oil, and so the demons were, couldn't get close to them. I'm like, ain't no demon in your tires. A nail. It's a tenpenny. Every little thing that happens is not a demon. There's not a demon behind every bush. And, and let me just cut straight, and I'm speaking as much me as anybody else. Frankly, we're just not that big of a deal spiritually. Um, not worth the devil's time most of the time. Um, I, I remember I came encountered a few people through the years that, that Satan himself is just after me. I'm like, ah, maybe, but I'm so, I just don't think you're that spiritual and holy that he'd waste his time with you. <laughs> I know I'm not. I'm, I let's be honest. There's not a demon behind every bush, but demons are real, and so so we've got two hands here, we need, we need to be balanced. Okay, does that make sense? Kind of where I'm going with this? All right, all the details aside, now let's get into this passage here. So when Jesus confronts this demon, he doesn't fight fair. All right, this isn't a duke it out spiritual evil battle. Um, I remember back in the 90s, and I'm uh, all right. Teenagers, count yourself lucky. The musical Christian artist in the 90s was Carmen. All right. How many of y'all remember him? All right. All the old folks. Okay. He actually had some good songs. But uh, I went to a Carmen concert, and um, I remember him singing this song. I don't even remember the song. It was, they were all cheesy. But um, he's he's having this spiritual battle, and they're like quite literally on stage fist fighting. Um, the demons were like ninjas. It was It was really bad. All right. So this is all going on and playing out, and this this battle's going on. That's not how Jesus deals with the demon, okay? Jesus doesn't fight fair. It's not this this cosmic struggle. Jesus just says, be quiet and get out. Now, Now think about this part. I can't say that to my own kids and at work, okay? And Jesus is sitting here, be quiet and get out of there. And what does the demon do? Gets quiet and gets out of there. The guy fell down. I mean, that's the worst he can do. I do that walking straight. And that's all it took. Think back with me a couple other places in Scripture. Um, Back, I think it was two weeks ago, we started in the beginning of chapter 4. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself. He has not eaten for 40 days. So at Jesus' absolute Physical lowest point on his journey of this earth, starved, exhausted, hot, sweaty, in a desert, Satan himself tempts him. He tempts him three times. And Jesus doesn't, you know, call all these forces and it's this big, you know, epic movie scene. He quotes the Bible to him three times. Jesus gets tired of it and he says, Be gone. And Satan leaves. Two words. Get out of here. Luke 10.18. We're going to get to this in a few months. Um, At the rate we're going, you're probably saying it's going to be two years, John. But no, I promise. It's a couple months. Um, Luke 10.18. Turn there for just a second. We're going to go right in the middle of a a story. Um, But I I want you to see this. This is awesome. Luke 10.18. And right we'll start in verse 17 we'll get the whole story this is so good so jesus has sent out 72 of his followers he's made them. this is like training time they they're apprentices, apprentices or interns the 72 return with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and he said to them i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. By the way, y'all remember this? Because Joe's going to like preach this same sermon again in Luke ten eighteen. Watch, he'll assign it to me. But it, it, this is the sermon, okay? So, But catch this. Catch what he says about Satan. I watched, and Satan fell from heaven like lightning. So if you look back to the Old Testament, there's two passages we think describe this passage, we're not even, or this action. But Satan at some point was an angel serving God. He was a created being. He's not eternal. He was very powerful, very beautiful is actually how the Bible describes him. He he was a musician in heaven. And somehow he gets the idea that God's not God enough. He's going to take over. And when that happens, God kicks him out. And when God kicked, Satan hit light speed. He's going out there like a lightning bolt. So when God kicks someone out, it's it's not a subtle, please leave, slam the door. He threw him out like lightning. This wasn't this battle between God and the devil that we see pictured in Hollywood and, and all the cartoons of the angel on one side, devil on the other. God says, you're done. He's gone. Michael Bond. He gone. Alright. Sorry, some of y'all missed that. Super Bowl, we have the illustrious Michael Bond gets a quote every year. He saw Satan fall like lightning. That's what happens when God and the devil get into it. Jesus returns when he comes back. I know there's, there's a million theories out there. Um, we're not going to get into these, but There is a battle described, the Battle of Armageddon, and it's, you know, every movie about the end times or the the catastrophe always is called Armageddon, always has Armageddon. But Satan tries to amass the largest army in history. That's kind of what appears in Scripture. He gets all his demons, all his forces. He gets people, and they're going to fight against God. And you know what Jesus does? He shows up. And the next word, it, it's great, it's in the the book of Revelation. It says, and the devil and the beast were thrown into the fiery lake of hell. That's it. That's the battle. And it says, and with his sword of his mouth. In other words, he speaks, everyone's killed. That's the battle of Armageddon. Jesus says, bye. End of battle. There's not, We we don't need to get confused about this. Jesus has so much authority and power. This isn't even a good movie. Stop. Be quiet. That's how it goes. Jesus' authority and power is so, so complete. It's complete as he expresses this, as he casts out this demon. Um, So when we come to deal ourselves with the demonic, and there may be a time And there may not be a time. There's probably been a time that you didn't even know about. But we need to realize, and again, hold that balance. It's not demon behind every bush, but there is a spiritual reality. And we do battle against the spiritual forces. So we need to not go to the false teachers and name it and claim it. And I declare this place demon free or something goofy like that. Because let me tell you, the guy in this passage It didn't work for him. He was possessed. When the demon came, he was out of control. He had no power and authority in and of himself. Jesus had the power and authority. So it's not about binding this or loosing that. It's about turning to Jesus Christ. Um, This story, it's not a manual for how to deal with the demonic because none of us are Jesus. I'm not and you're not. Now, the beauty of this is, though, and the reason we don't have to be afraid is because Christ has filled us with his spirit when we're saved. And so let me tell you, if if some of you are worried about demon possession and you're saved, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no room for a demon. You just don't even put it out of your mind. God's given you his spirit. Yes, you are possessed. By not by a demon, by the Holy Spirit. And trust me, he's much, much more powerful. But should we encounter the demonic, we don't do it in our own strength. It's about Jesus. We turn to Jesus. Uh, Remember what the the, uh, disciples did in that passage we read there out of chapter 10? It says, even the demons listened to us as we spoke in your name. It's all about Jesus' power and authority, not our power and authority. So what do you do if you encounter something demonic? Ask Jesus. Jesus. Please take care of this. And there is no reason in the world we should suspect anything besides him doing exactly that. He has power and authority. One of the things I wanted to do, and and unfortunately, I thought of this after we'd already printed the sermon guide in there, and your blanks, by the way, are Jesus has authority over Satan and his demons. Um, We always put books down there at the bottom. There's some great books down there on your list that kind of have to do with Jesus' authority and who Jesus is. There's two books I want to recommend to you. Both of them are actually works of fiction by Christian authors uh, kind of dealing with some of these issues and that balance. And one of them is C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters um and and he imagines this this uh scenario where where this demon is trying to tempt a christian and, and all the temptations are not these outlandish, you know, go chant and make your head spin around. That's not what satan's attempting the christian to do. It's just to be happy and comfortable and satisfied. Go to church and just sit but the screw tape Letters. And the second one is um, a new work. And this is by O.S. Guinness, O.S. Guinness. Um, it's called The Last Christian on Earth. And uh, I actually just found out about this book this weekend from a friend, Trevin Wax. And uh, it I've checked it out. It's the first book I read once I finish the silly Ph.D. Uh, it reads like an adventure novel. Um, so it's kind of Tom Clancy kind of feel. But he deals a lot of this idea with what is the spiritual reality, but it's not everything. So, The Last Christian on Earth. Um, If you're a fiction reader, I would highly recommend that one to you. I can't wait to read that myself. So let's tie this up. Jesus had authority and power over Satan and the demonic. And not just a little more. He had overwhelming power over Satan and the demonic. But the second thing, that Jesus deals with. The second miracle, it starts in verse 38. Jesus has authority and power over sickness. Jesus has authority and power over sickness. with me there in verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This is the guy um, who Jesus changes his name to Peter. All right, Simon Peter. Now, Peter's mother-in-law was ill. And I'm just going to pause, all right? This is complete aside. Peter... One of the apostles, first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He wrote several books of the of the Bible. Other denominations, the Roman Catholic Church would claim he was the first pope. He ruled over God's church. And one of the qualifications, of course, for a priest being that you are not married. But Peter has a mother-in-law. Those don't come free. OK, Um you got to get married for one of those. So just, just an aside, observation here. All right, now Simon Peter's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her. He rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them. And he healed them. And I'm going to finish out this section. And the demons came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because he knew that he was the Christ. Jesus has authority and power over this sickness. Jesus healed this woman in a miraculous way. It was not the case of there being a miracle because somebody took the right drug and suddenly she was better. He wasn't a doctor. He came, he talked to the sickness By the way, that's the only time that ever happens in Scripture. He talked to the sickness, and not only did she just feel better, says she jumped up and began to serve. She took care of him. I I don't know. She cooked him chicken and dumplings. I don't know what, whatever the first century equivalent, you know, hummus and falafel, and she is ready to go. She is completely well. the word rebuke there—it's the same word as the demon, but it's not that she was possessed. She was sick, um, and I, I want us to note this. There's a differentiation here in the scriptures. sickness while it might be demonic. I mean, there might be something out there. The norm is not sickness is equals demonic. That would be very uncommon, very foreign to the authors of Scripture. Um, Jesus calls this sickness. It was a fever. And just in the same way um, that we do not claim to be Jesus, we do not claim to possess the same authority and power he is. This is not a passage that enables us and gives us the, the license to do a name it and claim it. Every sickness is to be healed because we claim such. This happened to show us who Jesus is. It shows us who he is. He's the man of authority. He's the man of power. He's God the Son. I want us to be very careful here. Jesus didn't heal every sickness. Um, Did you catch what happened in verse 42? When it was day, so this all happens in one day. He's ready to go out into a desolate place. That was normally his practice. We assume he was praying out there, although this passage doesn't say it. The people sought him, so they come looking for him. They came to him. They would have kept him from leaving. They wanted to keep him. And he said no, and he left. And you know what happened to all those people in Capernaum, including Simon's mother-in-law after he healed them and did all this great stuff? Eventually they died. Jesus' purpose in this miracle is not to eliminate every sickness. It's not to just wipe out malaria or whatever disease it might have been in that day. Well, that's good things. And Christians should be seeking the good of all humanity. Those are good things. But that's not the point of the Scripture. That's not what Jesus was about. And so it should come as no surprise to us as there are sicknesses in the Scriptures that go unhealed. Now, it wasn't in this case, but there are other places. For instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's telling a story. All right? Paul, the first missionary. All right? Guy who wrote half the New Testament. Godly guy, right? I'm going to go on the assumption he had plenty of faith. I'm going to go on the assumption that he prayed about it. He mentions seven specific times that he asked God to heal some sort of sickness he had. We don't know what it was. Lots of people speculate. There's really no clear thing. He had some sort of sickness or or pain, injury. He prayed seven specific times, and I'm assuming that wasn't just seven one-sentence prayers. Knowing, and even if it was, most of Paul's sentences take up three pages. So, He prayed about it. He had the faith. This is the guy who tells us to be bold and come ask God for things. So I'm assuming he was bold and asked. And Paul says, God didn't do it. This passage is not to say every sickness needs to be miraculously healed. It's to say Jesus is a man of authority and power. And we can trust that God, the Son, Jesus Christ, has authority and power over every sickness out there. Every sickness there is. When He chooses to heal us, He can do it. And when He chooses not to, we submit to that in faith. Just as Paul did. This is not a name it and claim it. But I want us to get that Jesus comes, he shows up, and listen to what he does. Let's read it one more time. He stood over her, this is verse 39, rebuked the fever, and it left her. Just like that. Jesus had that kind of power. Now, I want us to um, take a little pause here, so everybody take a deep breath, all right? And, And I'm going to be just very honest. We're, we're going to step on a few toes, okay? So I love y'all, and please understand, I am just as guilty. But we need to look at something this passage says. Look at there in verse 39. He stood over her and rebuked her, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve him. Um, when Jesus did something in this woman's life, she started serving. Jesus' work that was a miracle and supernatural, so this is of God, produced visible human response. So God works, we can't always see that, but it produced visible human response. She did something. She served Jesus. The lady jumped up, she starts serving Jesus because he has authority to be served and he used his power to do amazing things for her. Um, one of the amazing things, and I've actually got to see this, we know where this lady's house was. Most of the stuff in the in the New Testament, it's so long ago, we have no It's probably somewhere in this part of town. We know where this lady's house was. Because archaeologists believe it may have been the first, if not one of the first, buildings to be used as a dedicated church. This woman donated her house to Christ and his cause. Her house became a church, perhaps the earliest church building in existence. And there's some debate about that. This is an amazing, amazing thing. This woman was so changed that everything changed when Jesus displayed his authority and power. And as we look across America today, um, the American church is just anemic compared to churches in the rest of the world. Um, evangelism rates, they're way low Evangelism rates in South America parts of Africa explosive China amazing the church planting that goes on in China is just insane but before we just go and look out at those pe those churches we need to look here at Providence a little bit and we need I, I just need to be candid with you. We are short-handed in worship care. Our list is not full. We're short-handed nearly every Wednesday night. On train, we need guys for student camp. We don't have male leaders. The only two male leaders going are our staff. Um, we've had one person volunteer to help water plants. We all voted spend five grand to put them in. On Facebook, one person our deacons are, are right now just covering it, and staff. Greeters, I had four people show up for the meeting. Four. And by the way, greeting means, hi, how are you doing? It's easy, okay? Um, and you don't even have to do it every week. Um, we can keep going. What's going on, and I, and I want you to see the other side of this. We have people who are pulling triple and quadruple duty to make this church run right now, and I'm not talking staff; I'm talking volunteers. Um, we have people who teach preschool Bible school, or excuse me, teach preschool Bible study every Sunday morning. They're now on the ro- worship care list to do sun, to do ten thirty too because we don't have enough people. Um, they're pulling double duty. There's mornings that they don't see adults. Other than when you're dropping your kids off with them, there are others who are doing Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and then something else, planning other things. We've got um, our deacons right now. I'm I'm telling you, there was there was one guy who came up here twice in one day to spend about four hours just watering plants, um, and then he had to go to the store and pick some other stuff up to make it easier for other people to water plants. Ironic. we want to say thank you. If you're one of those folks who's pulling double and triple and quadruple duty, thank you guys. Um, y'all are keeping us running right now. And Joe and I actually talked about this. Chad was working on something else at the time. We just want to say thank you. Um, we are grateful for y'all. Um, cause y'all make, Y'all making our lives sane right now. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you for having the heart and you're not doing it because I'm going to get up here and say thank you from the sermon, and that makes it even more beautiful, more amazing. Thank you for your heart. Um, But for the rest of us, we need to step up. Um, If you're not serving, and you're a member of the church, and by the way, I'm not talking to non-members. Y'all are our guests, and we're grateful that you're just here. But if you're a member, we need to step up. I I want to read just a section from the member covenant. This is what we've agreed together that we believe is what we want to strive towards. It says to regularly participate in the life of providence by attending weekly services, engaging in gospel-centered community, showing up, that's number one, serving those within and outside the church, remembering one another in prayer, aiding one another in sickness and distress, and seeking to love others in word and deed as Christ loved us. We need to take our membership very, very seriously. Scripture takes church very seriously. Verse 39, again it says, And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Service, it's a response to the work of Jesus. It's not to pay him back. It's not to earn his favor. We already have his favor. And as a church, just like, and it was, it was right over there. It's kind of right down the road. We all got together when we broke ground on this building and we grabbed an old plow off uh Joe's parents' farm. Old school plow and, and we were the mules. All right. And remember how we all pulled together? We need to get together. That was a picture, and that was a great picture. We need to actually act out that picture now. It's time for us to just let's pull. Um, let's spread the load out, and let's get in there and serve. So I love y'all, and again, if you are serving. Please don't hear this saying, you need to do more. But if you are not serving, if you don't have a regular role, um, talk to us. There's sign-ups at the um, the Connect Center, and let jump in there. Jump in there. Um, all right, ran over. Back to the regularly scheduled sermon here. When Jesus did heal, it was not a fair fight. Just like it wasn't a fair fight with the demon, it wasn't a fair fight with the fever. Jesus did not struggle. He didn't barely get through healing this woman. It wasn't a... None of this TV stuff. He told the fever to get out and the fever was gone. Jesus had authority and power over the worst we can encounter in this world. This doesn't mean our life's a bed of roses as we've talked about, but it means we serve a God of authority and power. We don't need to have platitudes. We don't need to think it's all just going to be cherry. We need to remember who we serve. Jesus Christ, we need to stand amazed in his presence. Jesus had authority and power, but the third thing and we're going to get down to verse forty two now the third thing is Jesus had authority and power of the gospel so i I worked and worked this week to try to do the Jesus blank thing kind of kind of that's our standard outline around here. Jesus has authority and power over Jesus has authority and power over, and I tried to get this third one about fifty different ways. Do Jesus has a power? and authority over something. I said sin, and that's absolutely true. He has authority and power over sin. I said over the gospel, and that's really true, but that didn't get the heart of the Scriptures here. The heart of the Scriptures is Jesus is the authority and power of the gospel. He he is the point. The point is not casting out the demon. The point is not healing the sick. The point is Jesus was there. Look with me in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place and people sought him and came to him. So they, they are loving on him. They're excited about him. He and would have kept him from leaving them. But verse 42 or 43, look what it says there, verse 43, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was teaching in the synagogues of Judea. Basically, what that means is he went from down south, way up north, New York City. He went from out in the country to the big town. Jesus is the authority and power of the gospel. He was rising in his fame. They were about to just, just kind of crown him king, so to speak. Everything was going great. Demons were fleeing, sickness going away. Jesus stopped the train in its track. And Jesus told the people that there was something bigger and there was something better at work than the demons being cast out and people getting healthy. As good as those things are, there's even something better. Jesus said that the gospel which simply means good news. Some translations put it good news, some say gospel. That's what we mean when we say the word gospel. It just means good news. It's more important than casting out demons. It's more important than healing sickness. The good news of the gospel is not some fairy tale where life suddenly makes sense and works and it's all easy and pain leaves and we get three wishes and all live happily ever after. I tell you, I believe the gospel in the week was hard. Wednesday was terrible. Daily life in the gospel is hard. Our hearts still get broken. At times it's exhausting. Jesus doesn't take us instantly out of this world into the heaven the second we trust him. And he doesn't make earth into heaven quite yet. We as humans tend to mix up God's plan and and take the first coming with the second coming. There is a day coming when Jesus will make everything right. We'll see his kingdom in its fullness. Every tear will be wiped away. But that's not today. That's not what he was doing here. He was sharing the good news of the gospel while people still had time to respond. The people of Luke's day were getting ready for Jesus to stick around and heal everyone, get rid of that foreign and oppressive government. To make a reality to all their dreams. And we want Jesus to come. We want him to make our American dream. and Give us our daily dose of happiness. We want houses and trucks and successful businesses and two and a half kids. And we want to never suffer. But the reality is Jesus is not an American. And his plan is the gospel. Not our version of happiness. And don't get me wrong. Jesus brings joy. He brings fulfillment, but it's not in our terms. Jesus preaches the gospel, and the essence of the gospel is Jesus Himself. It's who He is and what He has done for us. Jesus is our righteousness. He lived the perfect, right, sinless life that we could never live. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. He died the horrid, wrathful death that we deserved. Jesus rose again. To save sinners like me and like you. And he puts us together into a church to love and serve one another. We're an embassy in a dangerous foreign land, offering citizenship in a foreign realm that we will only fully enter upon our death or Christ's return. He offers something radical, he offers citizenship. In a foreign kingdom. And then he makes us his ambassadors. That's the beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus is worth it all. Whether he heals or casts out the demon or not. Jesus' job, his purpose was to preach the gospel. Healing and casting out demons was great. And it showed that he had the authority and power to share the gospel. But it wasn't the gospel. It wasn't the good news. Jesus was the good news. Jesus' authority and power was focused on the power to save sinners and the authority to grant us adoption and citizenship as the judge of the universe. Just as my wife stood a few years ago in a courtroom before a judge. She took the oath of citizenship and pledged allegiance to the flag, quite literally. And he signed the paper. And she became a citizen. Just as we've had several families in our uh, church. Joseph most recently. That judge signed a paper. And suddenly he's an airy. This is the gospel. This is the power and authority of Jesus. To take a sinner rebel like me. Fighting against the truth of God. And bring me in as a citizen, as an adopted child. That's the good news. That's why Jesus came and showed his authority over the demons. That's why he came and showed his authority over sickness. So we would know and we would understand he has authority to save sinners. That's good news, folks. That's the hope. When Jesus shows his authority and power in the gospel against your sin, it's not a fair fight. Just like it wasn't against the sickness or against the demon. The cross wasn't a who's going to win when he died. Maybe Jesus can do it. Maybe Satan's going to have his day in that struggle. Jesus was in command. Jesus, his whole ministry was on beeline to that cross. Jesus knew it during the Lord's Supper. He actually had to tell Judas, it's time to go betray me. Apparently Judas didn't have a watch. Jesus held himself on that cross by the power of the Spirit to fulfill the will of the Father and save sinners whom he loved. So when Jesus comes to sinners like me and like you, He doesn't tell us to work really hard and get ourselves cleaned up. He didn't put requirements on the sick woman or the demon-possessed man. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Jesus fights the rebellion and sin of our heart with a nuke. He doesn't come in with a slingshot. He destroys the sin on the cross and His perfect righteousness is more than enough. Jesus fights my sin and my old life with a brand new one. That's why it's good news. Jesus brings life to dead people like me and like you. When the gospel, as the gospel, Jesus raises dead sinners to new life. He makes enemies, his people. Jesus doesn't tell you to fix yourself up. In Luke 19.10, He says "As For the Son of Man came, came to seek and save the lost. So people who didn't even know where they were. I know I certainly didn't. I didn't know how bad I needed Jesus. That's who He comes looking for. Jesus' call to you is not to save yourself, but to repent. To turn to Jesus in all His ways. To turn away from your sin and in faith, look to the Savior who died for that sin and gives you His righteousness. So, so the application today, it's real simple. Have faith that Jesus has authority and power. Ultimate authority and power. Even if today you don't feel good about that, you don't get it, how could God let X if He's got that authority and power? And I, I don't know the answer to that. But I know from the Scriptures He has that authority and power. And so in faith, to trust His authority and power, to choose to believe the Scriptures even above your very own experience. To choose to repent, turning to Jesus in love. If it's for the first time, there's there's been those walls, those holdups you haven't been able to get past. Take that step in faith. I trust that you have this authority and power. I'm willing to turn away from my own thoughts and my own way of doing things and turn to you, Christ. But if you've been a believer for decades, it's that same thing. It's that daily repentance, that daily faith. That's the power that breaks down strongholds in your life. Not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, although it may be a lot of work. Today, we're going to express this response. This of, of this response of faith and repentance, we're going to express it in the form of the Lord's Supper. So our, our deacons are going to come down and they're going to serve us here in just a moment. But this is a visible expression to our faith that you can't see. And the night before Jesus died, he, he took bread and He took a cup of wine and He said that this was to represent His body and His blood as He died on the next day. First Corinthians 11, it, it teaches us that all of us who have trusted Jesus are to come together. This is a table of unity. And we're to take this table very seriously. We ask as a church that if you're a believer in the gospel of Jesus, um, even if you're not a church member here, but if you're a believer, join us as an expression of unity. But before you join us, we also ask that you make sure that you have confessed and repented all your known sins to God. One of the reasons there's a more efficient way to hand this stuff out than what we do, and we know that, we take time for reflection. It's a time to go before God and repent and pray. So, If if you didn't know that, that's okay. But today, take that time. Repent before God. Trust Him. If you're not in right standing with God and other Christians, Things like obedience in baptism, being being a member of a church, a healthy gospel church, being in right relationship with your brothers and sisters around here, if you're simply just struggling with the claims of Jesus and you just showed up today, thank you for coming and feel very free to be here as long as it takes. But we would just ask in those cases that you just let this plate pass respectfully because this means a lot to us. We're going to pray. Our deacons are going to come forward and we're going to respond by trusting Christ in faith. He has this authority. He has this power. And His body, His blood with that ultimate display of power and authority even over sin and death. Let's pray together. Deacons, y'all come on. Father, we just come we stand amazed in your presence, Jesus. and May we do so as we take the Lord's Supper. May we remember your body broken for us. Your blood that was shed for us. May we take it and remember what you have done. Being reminded of the great Savior that you are the Savior who has all authority, all power. That you are the message of the gospel. You are the good news, Jesus. We thank you, Son of God. Because of you we can pray.